Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. I'm Jordi, and sitting down with us today for the second time is Berkeley publicist Kristen Cipolla. Today, we're going to be talking about two of our favorite things. The first is books, and the second is Taylor Swift. Since Taylor has announced her Eras tour, we thought it might be fun to pair up some books to go with each of her eras. Kristen, it's so great having you back on, and I'm so excited to have this conversation. I am thrilled. This, these are my two favorite things, so I'm ready. Okay. So the way I chose books to pair up with the eras was more off how I interpreted the vibe of the era to be. I felt at the time, like I was trying to think back to all my memories of when each of these albums came out in the eras. I kind of went with like what I was reading or what I've read now that felt appropriate for the era. What did you choose? For her older albums, I picked that way because I was in high school when they came out. Um, and then for some of them, I picked certain songs off the album and what books felt very on brand for those songs. I'm so excited to see what we chose. So for the first era, the Taylor Swift era, what did you go with? A general anything by Sarah Dessen. So some notable favorites are The Truth About Forever, The Rest of the Story and Along for the Ride, There's Angst, There's the Innocent Love and Very Big Feelings. Love it. I went with Love and Gelato by Jenna Evan Welt. And I chose this one because for both the era and the book, there were some serious topics, but an overall feeling of young love and happiness. Okay, second era, Fearless. What did you go with? I had to go with The Summer I Turned Pretty, especially because that moment in the show where The Way I Loved You opening chords came on, I was hyperventilating and sobbing. So hand down, Jenny Han gets it. That's absolutely insane. I went with To All the Boys I Loved Before <laughs> by Jenny Han because I felt like all of the same emotions of the era, as long, the same thing that we've been talking about with the books, <laughs> of that like figuring out what's going on, young love, all of the feels were there. All right, next up, speak now. This is where it started getting really hard. I chose The Rewind by Allison Winscott. This is a newer book. It is about heartbreak and second chances and the ugly side of love and how love can redeem itself. And that is exactly what Speak Now is all about. I went with The Bromance Book Club by Lissa K. Adams because I feel like the main thing that stuck with me with this era was kind of say your piece, say what you have to. And if it happens for you, it happens. If it doesn't, like, that's okay. Grieve it and move on. And this book popped into my mind because one, that concept was interesting, but then it's the same thing where it's like, do what you have to do, say what you have to say, and hopefully it falls into place for you and you can see what happens. But that's what I went with. All right, read Taylor's version. Every Summer After by Carly Fortune. I feel like Red is like the classic Taylor Swift album. Every Summer After is all about the feelings of young love and the angst. And I think Red is nothing but angst. And I do want to clarify, I said Red Taylor's version, but I didn't say Fearless Taylor's version. <laughs> so I have to put that in there. I went with The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab. And I chose this because the All Too Well 10-minute version just is insane. And the same type of emotions that I felt listening to that song, I felt while reading the book. 
I love both of them. Yes. Okay, 1989. I picked Icebreaker by Hannah Grace, which is an indie, but specifically the song Wildest Dreams. 89 is when Taylor's in her sexy era, and I couldn't think of anything better than picking a very sexy sports romance. Nice. This one was difficult for me. A few kind of came to mind. And I went with A Rogue of One's Own by Evie Dunmore because this album was Taylor's pivotal moment where she came into herself and was accepting of whatever she stands for. She doesn't care, kind of like the backlash. And I got similar vibes from the book. All right. One of my favorites, Reputation. I picked Akatar by Sarah J. Moss. And the reason I associate this album with that series is because I was reading that series when this album came out. Call it what you want in particular. Every time I hear it, I automatically think of book one in the series. I went with Payback's A Witch by Lana Harper. And I feel like I don't really need to explain this one. But Payback's a Witch, there's a lot of the karma's coming back around. We're not putting up with this anymore. Loved it. All right. Lover. This is my favorite album, so this was the hardest one to pick. I'm going to go with the Bridgerton series. Because you know what you're getting. When you read it, you know it's going to be fluffy and romantic. And that is what the Lover album invokes in me and all the butterflies. I had a similar thought process. I went with the whole Brown Sisters trilogy, specifically Take a Hint, Danny Brown, just because that one's my favorite, and I'll use any excuse to talk about it. These books are by Talia Hibbert. I think the romance in all of these books are very real and very spicy, and I can't get enough of them. On to probably one of my most favorite recent albums or eras is Folklore. The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo came to mind immediately. I feel like folklore is kind of an old sound, if you will. And when I think of Evelyn Hugo, I think of a very classic old school story. I went with Daisy Darker by Alice Feeney because I felt like in the folklore album, there's a lot of stories that connect and things that intertwine. And in Daisy Darker, you have the same thing and it's all inside one family, but there's all these different stories and people are trying to figure out what's happening and why things are happening today. Next up, Evermore. I have a nonfiction one for you for this one. I picked Nobody Will Tell You This But Me by Bess Kalb, specifically because of the song Marjorie, which is like such a special song to me. And it's all about Taylor's grandmother and his memoir is about her late grandmother. And it is very beautiful, just as Marjorie is. Yeah, that's one of my favorite songs off that album. I think Champagne Problems, though, takes it for me off that one. It's funny you had The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo for Folklore. I chose that for Evermore just because the song Gold Rush on the album reminds me a lot of what's happening in that book. All right, and then our most recent era, Midnight. This was so hard, and I actually took your advice of what book made me stay up all night. So my try and true, one of my favorite books to ever exist, takes it. And that is Call Me By Your Name by Andre Asaman. I could not put it down when I first read it. And it made me feel the way Midnight's makes me feel. Yes. So I did this, but I have a darker book. It's All Good People Here by Ashley Flowers. It's a mystery thriller. 
and it has you guessing the entire way up until the end. If you're looking for something to keep you up at night and give you the thrills in a spooky way, this one will do it. All right, thank you for all of your book recommendations. I would be very interested to hear what anybody else thinks of what books fit into which era for Taylor Swift. So definitely let us know. Kristen, thank you for being on today. Thank you for having me. Do you love food and feminism? Then you will love decorating your home and filling your wardrobe with merch from Overseasoned. This colorful culinary brand features clever and bold artwork with cheeky slogans like shuck the patriarchy and cabernet and equal pay. Shop t-shirts, aprons, kitchen towels, baby clothes, and more with these fun and empowering designs. Top sellers include Smashing My Food and the Patriarchy Baby Bib, Root for Women, Cozy Crew Neck, and the Culinary Goddess Apron. And if you're particularly fired up about the Supreme Court decision and who isn't, the Ice Cream for Reproductive Justice design is going to be just what you want to rock on a t-shirt or tote bag. These pieces have become cult favorites in the food world, with star TV chefs, home cooks, bakers, and foodies alike swearing by overseason merchandise. Nearly every product in the shop supports a nonprofit that's dedicated to bettering the lives of women, particularly those in marginalized communities. Not to mention that these pieces are highly functional as well as incredibly soft. And since Overseasoned outfits infants to adults, it makes a great gift for anyone in your life and adds conversation-starting flair to any ensemble. Go to overseasoned.com shop and use code FEMINIST to get 10% off of your order with Overseasoned. Hello, everyone. My name is Alana Amore, and I am a content contributor with Feminist Book Club. Today, we're talking with Nino Strategy, <laughs> who was a, a historian, previously had a research and a curator for the National Trust in English Heritage, and now is an author. We're going to be talking to her about her most recent release, Young Bloomsbury, the generation that redefined love and freedom and self-expression in the 1920s out December 6, 2022. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. It's lovely to be talking to you. Thank you so much. We're so happy to have you here. And diving into our first question, what is Young Bloomsbury about? Young Bloomsbury is about a lovely bringing together of two generations as a family of choice with a group of writers and artists bringing up a new young group of creatives in the 20s in a wonderfully inclusive and accepting manner, thinking beyond traditional gender or sexual boundaries and helping those people be the people they wanted to be and produce the work they wanted to produce. It's a lot of very famous names um, within and outside of the literary canon. Would you like to discuss on those people? Yeah. What was wonderful about the original Bloomsbury group, who were a group of writers and artists who came together in London in the early 1900s, is the complete idea of gender and sexual equality within that group. So you had great writers like Virginia Woolf. You had artists like her sister, Vanessa Bell, and her lover, the artist Duncan Grant. And then other writers like my relation, Lytton Strachey, like E.M. Forster, like the economist Maynard Keynes. And they came together to imagine society differently. This was a group of people who were ahead of their time in the early 1900s and really came into their careers and in fact, their international reception after the First World War. And that was when they came together with this new generation and reached new audiences through different media, through radio, through things they'd never tried. World War One was just over 100 years ago. What was the importance mm -hmm. of bringing that, producing this 
history now. It was a wonderful moment to reflect, really, on how things have and haven't changed in a 100 years, because these were people who were living in ways that would feel familiar to us now, but still in perhaps challenging ways. And it was an opportunity to look back and to celebrate queer history and really to celebrate how acceptance and inclusivity can help people be as creative as they could possibly be, particularly thinking about this new generation of young writers and artists in the 20s who then produced wonderful work of their own and the chance to celebrate that. You mentioned that you are a direct descendant <laughs> of Lytton and Julia. What was it like researching that and reaching out to your family members to collect that information and then discussing that with your child who identifies as queer and non-binary. It was a lovely chance for my child and I to explore the queer history of our own family. And it's an incredible opportunity to think about all those relations. One of my relations wrote a book called All Straight, She's the Cousins, and we're a tiny little family. There's probably only about 12 of us left in the UK today with the surname Straight She. But when you look back in history, we have this great series of queer ancestors. So obviously we have Lytton Strachey, who is celebrated for his own pioneering role in, in queer history, but also his sister, Dorothy Boosie, who wrote Olivia by Olivia, which is a lesbian novel, uh, and a whole panoply of other relations. Um, and just learning more about them uh, and about the way they supported each other and were accepted within their family has been great for me and my child to look at and to think about broader societal relevance as well. Lytton was more part mm. of the old Bloomsbury where Julia was yes. closer tied to young Bloomsbury with so many famous yeah. and notable artists and writers with old Bloomsbury. What was the importance of highlighting young Bloomsbury? It was this interesting counterpoint to show the role that young Bloomsbury played in bringing old Bloomsbury to a new audience because before the First World War, they'd essentially only talked to each other. Hardly anybody was buying their books or their paintings. Even Virginia Woolf was selling hardly anything. And then suddenly, post the First World War, you had this new generation coming through who were less respectful of their ancestors, much more open to these new ideas. And then they were also tied in with all these new means of communication. And so they brought Bloomsbury to public attention. These were young people who were journalists on Vogue, for example. And Virginia Woolf talk, talks about accepting massive payments from Vogue and bringing a new to their material. And members of Old Bloomsbury started appearing in gossip columns, going to gender blurring costume parties. And they were photographed and appeared much more broadly than ever had before and began to sell in America as well as in the UK. And at the same time, it was a kind of symbiotic relationship. Virginia Woolf employed many of these young people at her press, the Hogarth Press, she and Lytton Strait, she almost took on this sort of nurturing queer parenting role for these group of young writers who were poets, they were journalists, they were would-be academics. And like Julia Strachey, there was a writer and Virginia really nurtured her. She said that she was a, a typical Strachey and as slippery as an eel. She would never be able to be pinned down. But there was this lovely role in the way that kind of mutual support that they were able to draw new ideas from this younger group, but also to help them develop in their own careers. You've brought up mm. found family a few times, which is a reoccurring theme without the history of this group of people. And mm. you talk about Lytton and Virginia taking on a parental role, which is very familiar in an aspect of queer history throughout all of time. A lot of what I was reminded of when I was reading this book was of ballroom families and ballroom <laughs> etiquette and the campness of everything. 
But of course, the U.S. has a completely different history than the U.K. in terms of queer history. So my next question is, what do you think was the influence that Bloomsbury as a whole has had on what's happening in the U.K. now in terms of queer rights and queer liberation and expression? You would like to imagine there's been a seamless positive progression from 100 years ago, but I wouldn't think it's the case. And I think what was sobering in looking at the history of Bloomsbury in the 20s. Here were these two groups of older and younger people getting together and gathering in an amazing way, sponsoring these beautiful costumes and visual expressions photographed by Cecil Beaton. Yet at the same time, there was a conservative government in the UK that was cracking down on all forms of public expression of sexuality. You had the Radcliffe Call trial in 1928. And there's an irony in that many of these people, old and young Bloomsbury, were only arrested because they were having their parties in first floor rooms in Bloomsbury. It's just like the accident of architecture. So the police weren't looking in through their windows. Whereas there was a lovely dancer called Bobby Britt in 1925, less than a mile away. His flat was in the basement. Police could look in and see men dancing with men. He was arrested and sent to three months penal servitude. There was this dichotomy then, and there's quite a lot of that dichotomy in the hundred years since. And it would be lovely to think we were further on, but not always the case. There are Mm. quite a few books coming out Mm. in the UK that reflect Mm. this queer history. Mm -hmm. To name a few, Bad Gays, After Mm. Sappho, which was a Booker Prize Mm. long list, and The Transgender Mm. Issue, and of course your Mm. book, Young Bloomsbury. Why do you think there's such a surgence at this exact moment in time? I would certainly hope to think that there was more of an opportunity to particularly celebrate trans and non-binary history and really to maybe to talk about that in a way that hasn't necessarily been spoken of before. And there is uh, several of the books that you're talking about, there is that linked theme. And maybe this is a moment and an opportunity to celebrate that shared history and long-standing history. I love that answer. You present a perspective of Virginia Woolf that we don't typically see. A lot of times we reflect on her depression or we view her as this sort of maybe more reserved and prop middle-class person. What was it like opening up the fact that she liked gossip and she liked to talk and she liked to maybe instigate certain situations? Yeah, I love Virginia because she's so naughty and she's so funny. And I think she and Lytton egged each other on, really, to be naughtier and funnier than each other. And they just loved gossip and sexual innuendo of every sort. And I think it's interesting because, you know, what you read about Virginia can be taken in two ways. There are some people who think maybe she's being a bit nasty because she's teasing these young people and really probing into their personal lives. Eddie Sapphire West, who I write about, revered her so much that he would bring his diaries round to her house so she could read through them and give him some advice on his latest difficult love affair. Some people see her as nasty. I see her as funny because however mean she might be being, appearing to be on the written page, she was helping these people, really driving them on in their lives. So I'm really for her. She was providing a lot of them jobs and temporary yeah. shelter. And she wasn't yeah. very motherly character, I think, within this group. Yeah. And yes, you're right. No, I don't think she's necessarily been celebrated in that way enough so far. I just want to thank you so much for your time and for meeting me. Is there any way we can find you, any social media that you would like to direct our listeners to? You can find me on Twitter, on Insta, and I've got a a little website as well.
Fantastic. We will link all of that in the show notes as well as the books discussed mm-hmm. and a link to pre-order and access this book when it comes out. Lovely. Thanks. Great to talk to you. Thank you so much. Are you searching for bookish gifts this holiday season? At Flypaper Products, we are a team of passionate book lovers who are committed to providing you with useful and unique literary and grammar gifts for the writer and reader in your life. Browse our online shop to find everything from bookmarks, barware, uniquely scented book-inspired soy candles, witty grammar pencil sets, high-quality herbal and black tea with clever literary titles, ceramic mugs to tote bags, and more. Each and every one of our products are proudly designed in beautiful Ann Arbor, Michigan by book lovers and for book lovers. Let us help with your gift giving this holiday season and select one of our many curated box gift sets that are in stock and ready to ship or customize your own box. Our bookish gifts can be shipped to you or directly to the lucky recipient and make the perfect holiday gifts. We offer same-day order processing, and shipping is always free for orders over $48. We are also happy to include a personalized gift note to complete the gift. Whether you're searching for the perfect present for the bibliophile in your life or looking to add to your own collection, our literary and grammar gifts for book lovers will put a smile on anyone's face. Use promo code HEROIN to get 25% off your first order and visit the website flypaperproducts.com today. That's code HEROIN to get 25% off, H-E-R-O-I-N-E, at the website flypaperproducts.com. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for brownie points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. well-read woman is a dangerous creature, creature, oh, 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 oh. A well-read woman is a dangerous creature, creature.